We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Gerard Jones. So we've had Gerard on the podcast before. He's written a book on coach communication. He's worked in the academy system in England. He's now working in the youth system in the US. He's also doing a lot of work with coach education over here in the USSF. So the last time we spoke, we talked about the communication piece and the coaching journey. And this time... We had planned to start on that there and go a little bit deeper in communication, but we decided to move it to a different aspect of coaching when we were just catching up with one another before we started recording. So we started talking about player development. We started talking about that process of getting players better within the team environment. And then we just decided to pick it up from there and see where it went. So really fascinating topic and we'd love to hear your thoughts on it at Gary Kernin on Twitter at Gary Kernin on Instagram please also check out the Modern Soccer Coach community platform is up and running we've got daily content that's coming out every day we're trying to engage with the community with a group on a different aspect every day sports science psychology culture player development we also have over 200 video animated exercises on the platform as well that you can have easy access to along with analysis pieces and things that i have collected from modern soccer coach over the years so please go ahead and check it out the links are on my social media page and they should be on this podcast description page as well easy to register two weeks free for every coach and then it's only six dollars a month to access everything on the page so please go ahead and check it out here is gerard enjoy gerard thank you so much for joining me today on the modern soccer coach podcast again great to have you on i know i'm excited to get you know catch up with you and talk about coaching and everything else so we, we've absolutely no script. I gave you a few questions and we've decided in our chat before that we're going to move in a completely different direction. So let's see where this goes. So basically to give the, the listeners a little bit of background of why we're moving in a different direction, we, we were talking about catching up basically what, what we've both been doing and, and talking about your, your role with the coach education side. And you said something really interesting. You said about the, the culture over here is really focused on the collective and not enough on the individual and that's something that my role here is is a lot of it is centered around the individual so we've been talking for about 25 minutes that we should have been recording so <laughs> let's uh let's start there let's start at that at that cultural piece talk about how you feel that and talk about the differences in the culture over here the culture maybe in the uk and where both are moving i think it's interesting like where we were talking was just and from my insight, having worked with the Federation now, I'm delivering on their coach education courses. I've, I've delivered a lot of grassroots in-person courses and national D-licenses. I just came off the back of delivering another D-license this weekend. And it's interesting, having worked in the US as well and worked in England and different countries, in the US it's very team-centred and it's a lot about the coach, their ego, their profile, how many games they've won, we had one coach in particular who was very much against the individual development. So we were talking a lot about how do we develop that individual within the collective? So it's individual versus team development. And he was very much, but my team's winning state championships. We're winning regional championships. We're going on. And, and you know, what we were talking about earlier was like, nah, you've, you've missed it, mate. You've missed it. It's not about that. And it's just interesting because over here, it's very much the, the coach's profile and how, how many games they've won, how far they've gone with their teams. But as we all know, it's how can we, first of all, inspire a love for the game? And can we use sport as a vehicle that, you know, are they still playing sport? Because I think the biggest issue you've got and we've got in the United States is, I looked at a stat recently, 75% 
of the players are dropping out. Now, population, it's been stagnant for the last 10 to 15 years, and they've been typically dropping around 13, 14, and it's actually getting even younger now. So that's a that's an issue because, you know, the United States Soccer Federation, they want soccer to become the preeminent sport in the United States. And soccer's, you know, the, the world sport, it brings so many people together. And we've got to make sure that we're inspiring a love for the game and love for life and love for growth. And it's all about helping that individual get better as opposed to me, my ego, you know, and team development and making this team stronger. Because the issue becomes that, well, what if there's a couple of individuals on there who need a different environment? How can we stretch them further? How can we, you know, if, and if my team, and this is the issue in the United States with tryouts and a lot of people will hold players back to keep them on their team so they can win. But actually, you know, that individual could go on and play at a higher level. And I think that's some of the differences compared to what, you know, I've experienced in the UK where it's all about individual growth. How can we stretch that individual further? Recognise moments when you need to let them go and they need to go into another world and, and finding ways to make their strengths even better. And I just find that really fascinating. And I, and I think it's a cultural shift that's going to take a lot of time in the United States, but it's certainly a fun challenge. Yeah, when you talk about dropout rates, I would think that most people automatically start moving their mind towards really negative experiences and, and it's been it's been miserable basically. But what about the teams then that that are winning? Do we misunderstand sometimes or, or misinterpret that success is actually benefiting the individual? You know, how many because you get a trophy, everyone gets a trophy here every weekend. Like that's a stat yeah. I see is how many medals are given out in this country in X amount, whether that's gold, silver, bronze, or just uh, anything at all. And, and it's not to go down a road of, you know, a participation trophy, but it's to go down a road of maybe we're misinterpreting what success is because if we're telling people, young players, that it's about the team and all of a sudden then it's about them improving, do they start getting blurred lines then and they're, they, they won't enjoy the game if they're just getting a trophy every week and it's too easy? Well, I think it's, it's often the parents and the biggest issue we've got to see is that the parents aren't the enemy, <laughs> not the enemy. We've actually got to engage with them more. And, and I don't like the word educate because that implies that we're telling them something, although education is important, but engage with them because these guys have got a lot of knowledge so we can learn a lot of insight from them around their child and their interests. But equally, we have to engage with them, our philosophies and the reason why and communicate consistent and correct messages because often the parents will see that that's important and they'll drive that bus with the pe with the players. So then it's it becomes an issue. But winning is vital. You know, you learn as much through losing as you do through winning. And that's important because you can develop confidence. But equally, you know, I'll use this for example. Maybe it's an extreme one. One of the candidates we had on a D-licensed course that delivered recently, his son plays for a development academy club in uh, New York. And this was the under nine boys. They're not, that age group isn't in the DA, but it's an under nine boys team that got to the final of the state cup. They won it. His son, guess how many minutes he got in the game? Oh, zero. Four minutes. It's like, <laughs> what is that about? Now for the kid, he's got a gold medal around his neck. Great. But he got four minutes. That can't be right. And I think it's the coaches who are more focused on the performance. We've got to define what's our metric for success. And yeah, you're right. Like there's another road that the conversation we could go down, which is like medals for everything and participation and that stuff. I think it's great. The tournament success, that's maybe the edge that a lot of coaches working in the United States have had over coaches working um, in the UK, I've found, is that they're playing so many tournaments out here. You know, they're playing tournaments every weekend. They're getting that competition level. The competitions are huge. So I think they've got the players over here have got a significant advantage that they're playing at some great levels. But we've got to make sure that the experience goes beyond that. It's not necessarily just, yeah, we've won, you know, and he's got four minutes and we've got a gold medal. 
or we're playing in the bronze bracket or the silver bracket, we're winning every division, great. It's how can we challenge those players further and see it as an education opportunity because we're not Jurgen Klopp. Me and you are not Jurgen Klopp. There's not millions of dollars on the line here. We're not playing for our reputation. We're trying to instill a love in the game for the child and help them become even better, like develop that person. And, and I think that's where we've got to go with it. It's interesting though. And it comes back to the communication. What is the language that we're using? What are the words that we're constantly promoting? Because that's the, the environment and what's going to lead to the behavior. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for I'm all for culture. I'm all for environments, but I don't think that going back to that point of how that player that's played, young player that's played four minutes, telling that player that this is good for them, and telling them that to be a good teammate, they've got to be happy about about necessarily taking a role of four minutes. I don't think that's healthy. No, like, and I go back to my I go back to my experience where some of my greatest growing experiences as a young player, and I didn't play at a, at a high level, but it was 14 years of age, not getting a game with the under-15 team, and three subs, and they only used two, and I had to go back in the car and not, you know, not, not play. And I don't know whether they won or lost the game. I cried my eyes out as soon as I got home, but it made me try. It made me work harder. It made me, you know, so we moved that towards adversity you know going back to the tournament where everyone now is getting maybe there's so many trophies maybe we're doing well but are we exposing our young players to adversity and challenges and and how do we put that in environments or how important is that well it is important i mean you've you've hit a great point but you also use the different age group as well and i think it all everything comes down to context doesn't it and and every scenario is slightly different i think under nines you know the and certainly old age you're not going to get better unless you're playing and at the younger ages we're, we're trying to inspire love for the game if you look at all the research you know amanda vizek fun maps and she's she's interviewed children where they've talked about what makes it fun to play soccer and they came up with 81 determinants of what they felt fun was the youngest ages that we were just talking about right up to high school ages, recreational, competitive levels, etc. And you had all these kids in a room exchanging ideas. It's unbelievable. No adults influencing the decision. And the kids came up with 81 determinants of what they felt made playing soccer fun. And you and then they started to create panels. So they were like, oh, well, well can you rank them in, in order of importance in terms of hierarchy? What's more important? So then the kids would talk to each other. You'd have a, you know, a 12 year old talking to someone who's 16 and nine and exchanging ideas. And they started to create categories and piles. They're like, this is really important, but actually maybe that's like number 61 and this is number 22, but then that needs to go over there. And they created 11 different piles. They called it in the study dimensions, but basically 11 categories um, that formed the, the hierarchy. So they were like, well, what would you call that? So they had different labels for them. So one was swag, which is typical kid language. You know, one was team rituals, one was uh, training, and so on and so on. And where I'm going with this, Amanda Vizek Fun Maps, that it came back to that the biggest things that they found were fun was playing games. Playing games within practices, scrimmaging was fun. Apparently, water breaks are fun as well. Not going off on a tangent, apparently that's really fun, which I think is great. Um, getting praise from their peers. So it's not always the feedback they get from the coach. It's actually the peer-to-peer -peer feedback was really powerful. Getting feedback from and praise from other people's parents was fun. Uh, experiencing playing in tournaments was fun. Being given individual feedback and individual support was fun. And... Winning was in there, but it was a lot more than all the other things that I've just talked about. And there were certain categories in there that related to your question around adversity. And I think there's moments where we can um, use the word stretch, challenge, probe players in certain ways, but it's got to be through, I'm not trying to use this word as a fluffy word, but love. They've got to know why we're doing it. We can't just be hostile for the sake of being hostile. 
Uh, and in that experience, maybe that's what you needed. Who knows? Like hypothetically, if you're a high school player under 15 or an under 16 or whatever, maybe you needed to sit out because you've not been displaying the correct attitudes or you've not been showing enough effort or perhaps you needed to do more observation. You needed to see stuff. He knew that that would inspire a response from you to get better and want to get on the game, uh, get more game time perhaps. Uh, but it's all about knowing individuals, isn't it? And knowing their needs, their wants, and what their buttons are to press. But I think the key is, and one of the best ones I ever saw was Tony Ellis at Rochdale, is the academy manager there. And if he ever did something that was ever hostile, I'll use that word, that's my word. Um, I'm not saying he's hostile, that's just the way I'd describe it. If there was anything that would push the boundaries a little bit to a player or even a coach when he'd do it to me, he'd always be the one that, you know, away from everybody else in the car park. Hey, you know, I really like you though, don't you? You know, I think there's a reason why I'm doing that. And like, I remember once he said something to me about my session and I went home and I was like in tears. I was gutted. And I was just because of how intense I am and how passionate about coaching, I didn't want to disappoint him. I'm reflecting that years ago as a young coach. And when he used to come over, I'm like, oh, flip, he's watching. It's got to be good, you know? And anyway, he said something, I won't go into details, but he rang me that evening, 10 o'clock at night, and he was telling me how what he thought I was doing really well and how much he cared about me. And he was like, "When you are you free tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow? Come for a coffee, we'll talk about coaching. And, and I just think showing that you care is the key, that unconditional love, attention and support is absolutely vital to develop in any relationship, to stretch in the, because yeah, Oh, this isn't a long-winded answer. The players do need adversity. They do need challenge. Um, there's that phrase in there, talent needs trauma. I think that's a bit strong. <laughs> I think talent needs love and support um, and stretching. Uh, but again, there's going to be setbacks in your life that you have to overcome. It can't be all bubble wrap and high fives and fist pumps. But I think the high fives and fist pumps have to outweigh the, the jabbing. Because if it's always jabbing, you know, and the research shows this negative responses, it's uh, whether it's related to growth mindset, fixed mindset, external feedback versus internal feedback, the language that we use. Um, I mean, the Federation are big on this now. They talk about glows and grows. So whenever we're doing something, it, it, can there be more glows as opposed to grows? And even if it's an environmental challenge, like you saying somebody's going to sit out, or it might be today you're going to play longer. You're going to play with 10 men versus 11. Deal with it. How often do we do that? We should be doing that. We should rather than going, I've only got 10 today. I've got injuries and, you know, can you go 9v9? No, play 9v11. Go deal with it. Go into extra time and deal with it. And I think those are healthy challenges as long as we explain why we're doing it, what the rationale is. Because I think players need relevance. They need to understand relevance more now than ever. Because I think as we get into this digital age and the way that the world is now, the way that it's going to be, we're not preparing players for the world of 2020. We're actually preparing them for 2040, 2050. As you know and I know, it's a, I'm a millennial, supposedly, whatever that is. And you've got the generation now, as you know, coming through and how technology is overruling the world. There's a great book by um, 64 Shots. Have you read it? No. It's a, here's another one, 64 Shots Leadership Book. And he talks about VUCA, it's a military term. So he goes on about that. We live in this VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. He said, and actually, we live in a super VUCA world because communication now is so instantaneous. You know, I can get the answer now on my phone. I can... I can send something to tweet about you now and just the way that the world is now and the way that children being brought up that's their world mm -hmm. and how they struggle with some of the communication skills that we have and how they struggle with dealing with conflict um you know someone said to me the other day not going off on a rant about adversity and i won't say his name he's a e triple p category one academy coach very good coach but he was talking about Oh, the kid, he's an ex-pro. The kids, they don't realise how easy they have it today. They don't realise, like, in my day, we had to do... And I'm, and I'm like, are you mad? 
it's harder to grow up now Absolutely. than ever before Absolutely. because of cyberbullying, because of so there's so many things that you know not to go off on a tangent but i think there's a lot of variables that are stretching the kids and stressing the kids now and me and you have both got kid, uh, children i mean i've got a 14 month old his world is going to be way different to the world that i grew up in and i think that's going to be so complex so volatile so dangerous look at the world we're living in now with twitter and politicians and what they're saying about other countries how do we, I think they're going for enough adversity. How can we give them more love and care, show that we care, unconditional attention, not conditional, unconditional, and then recognize moments that, yeah, we need to give them tough love. But I think that's the word, tough love. It's always that, hey, there's love at the end of it, there's care, rather than just, I'm going to be an absolute whatever to you, Gary, but you don't know why I was doing that. Because I think now the children of today are more vulnerable, more sensitive than ever before. And I, and I think that was one of the biggest skills that you see as some of the top level coaches now, that they're adapting to a different player that's coming in. That, you know, they're trying to, there's resilience, but I think resilience looks a lot more different than ever before. I think there's, there's different ways of being resilient now than what me and you grew up in. It's a great point. Because when you're talking about individual development, you're going to have a number of people are going to say, yeah, we have development plans for every player. It's in their computer. It's either looking like a, a spreadsheet based or it's you know positional work that they have for everyone. But what you're emphasizing there is the fact that that's not enough, right? You need to have that relationship with that coach to where if you are exposing them to just coaching in general, good, bad, different, you have to you have to bring emotion. You have to engage the heart as well as engage in the head. Yeah, relation. That's something I've got better at now. I think in a previous role I had, I I, I thought I was good at relationships, and I was a lot more sensitive to things before as well. Um, but I've, I mean, relationships is huge because you've got to. That's one of the biggest things I've I've um, got a lot stronger with with working with the federation is that. Just building connections with people is so important, isn't it? What you just said there is bang on. Um, and it goes beyond what we do on the – I mean, we do some great resources, don't we? We all do where we're creating these development plans for players or coaches. But I think authenticity and and uh, going outside of that, you know, what do they really want? What do they need? That's where we've got to go. 100%. I wrote a book on positional training four years ago and – without understanding the importance of relationships, I was not backing that up with, so I was doing some decent work on the grass, but I wasn't following it up with the relationship in terms of meeting with the player. Understand that piece there, what you said, unconditional love, which yeah. is being empathetic to the player. When things are going bad, then that's where sometimes that's difficult as a coach because you ultimately or sometimes we frame setbacks as not trying hard enough or not caring enough, but sometimes it's it's there's just other things that a 19, 20, 13, nine-year-old that they're all going through. Well, it's funny because, like, uh, I mean, we talk all about, like, X's and O's, practice design, all this thing. I think what we're getting better at as maybe a world, I think we're becoming more appreciative now, is everything that goes... Uh, that's important to coaching, but outside of coaching. So recently we did a task where we're trying to draw as much information from the players as possible. How can we support you today? Because we want to know what's going on in their world, what's happening in their world that we can help with. And we did one, you'll love this. So we had a whiteboard and we've done like emojis. And at the end of the session, they've had a, they've drawn whether they've got a smiley face or a sad face. There was a couple of sad faces we probably need to do better. <laughs> but it's like, you know, do they come, if they've come as a as a smile, so let's say, you, you know, you've come to this meeting today, well, meeting with chat that we're having and you're a, you're a green, you leave as a red. What's happened in this conversation that's left you as a red? Do I recognise that you're a red and you've arrived a red and can I turn you into a green? So we had that, we had loads of conversations about that and we did this whiteboard thing where we drew it into like four boxes and one was um, along the lines of the players could write their name. So help me with. So then the child would write Gary, 
body shapes or Gary finishing or whatever it is that they want to get help with. In another area, it would be leave me alone. And you'll be surprised. So I did this recently. Two kids put their name and leave me alone today. So we're like, what the flip? So we asked one child, a cat just died. So she was not in it today. The other one, the example I can give you was that she just had too much going on in terms of tests. And she's just come off there getting ready for the SATs, going through a lot of stuff. She's getting pressure from the mum. I think she had to do, uh, there was something going on with her religious studies and how it relates to her and blah, blah, blah. Just to the, for coaching and whatever, that was low on her list. So for bandwidth and information, we can't be, obviously you want to challenge her and you want her to have a great session. But I'm thinking like now, I can't overload her now. Her head's not even here. Her head's elsewhere. There's one player who's come to me with anything. So they just might write their name in that, come to me with whatever, just whenever you see me, or I will come to you as another box. And we would have players come to us during the session and say, hey, I need help with this, or what can I do better? Da, da, da. And then we started to evolve that into something else. And basically before sessions now, whether it's on a whiteboard and they fill it in, what their objective is for today, or whether it's an emotion board and they have to write their emotion, we're doing some loads of crazy stuff around that. But we're just finding out so much information from the player. And then I did it on a coaching course I delivered recently. And it was crazy because one guy did, um, uh, what was it, like a smiley face like this with his hands like this. And I was like, what does that mean? He explained to me. One did, um, he said it was Bob Marley because he drew the head with like things coming off the head. And he was like, I'm just chilled today. And then one drew another face, which was like more angry. So we're like, why is he angry? You know, so I think the, we've got to become more, you hit the nail on the head, empathetic, emotional intelligence, just find out as much as we can. And then that's obviously going to inspire how we support that person today. We'll take a quick break there. Coaches, please take some time out of your day today to go online and check out the Modern Soccer Coach Community platform. We just started it up last week. There's a different topic every day to engage in the coaching community with talking points about sports science, goalkeeping, player development, tactics, training, and culture. So different topic every day. And then we also have a database of video animated exercises, training sessions from teams, video analysis, and breakdowns of different teams, different players that we've collected from Modern Soccer Coach throughout the year. So we've got some great people involved in it. We'd love to check it out. Links are on the social media pages and also on modernsoccercoach.com. We'd love to have you involved. Back to Gerard. For a player to come in and say, at any age group, to say, my cat has died, I'm having a bad day, or yeah. I'm struggling with issues at home, I'm having a bad day, to have the trust. If, if I was to go in and observe, or if that happened in my environment, I would, be, I would be so proud. Even to observe that there, I'd be like, wow, this is powerful. This is a player who's confident enough. Or, or trusts the environment to say that. Do we going back then? Why it doesn't happen enough? Do we then? Do we fail to present that as a, as with with this great, you know, great cultures? Are everyone having a great attitude? Great cultures is everyone working hard? Right. Do we then run a threat of yeah misinterpreting what great cultures are all about? Because then everyone thinks when they come in, if I don't say I'm having a good attitude and I don't say I'm working hard. I'm going to get resistance for a coach or I'm going to get judged, you know? Yeah, we, yeah. So how do we then grow that as a as a youth coach or as a college coach or a senior coach? How do we grow that personality piece to be, you know, without sitting for five hours a day and, and most yeah. of us don't have those resources? What, tell me about the morning. How, how do we get that going? That's a tough one. The question around culture is huge because I like that word where you finished off last, which was the judged. And I think often we can misunderstand a person's behavior and actions because we're not privy to something we might have said or our body language. We might not have recognized that we've just walked past that individual. And we didn't say hello. Just a little thing like not saying hello. But in our mind, we're there early and we've just walked past, we're on the phone or whatever. And today that might have been them feeling like, God, and that's added to another list of issues for them, what they're going through. We don't know, do we? There might be something where they, you know, exclude us from sitting on a table, but hey, this is a high performance environment. 
but somebody's sat over there on their own. But hey, we're all doing great things. And yeah, I don't know. I think the I think trying to develop an opportunity where you can have honest conversations with people without being judged is a bloody good start. And mm-hmm. how how you can maybe make it so that people don't feel threatened that they can bring feedback to the to the room. You know, there's going to be no consequences if I share this with you. It's not going to have any repercussions because then that becomes that other word that you use, which is the trust. I think then that's going to be the key. And we've just got to lead on those sort of things because I've worked in, I can think of one environment now where I worked in where, I mean, I felt so bloody low. It was unbelievable. I just didn't feel good about myself. Felt really crap. Felt lacked confidence. I mean, Jesus it was probably the first environment where I didn't want to get, I'm normally first one in, last one out. And I was always first one in, but when it finished, I couldn't wait to get out. And I, I used to dread going in in the morning. But this is an environment that was, you know, we're all over Twitter and we're doing all these great things and what you're saying. But actually, there's hidden things going on that, you know, someone could have just pulled me to a side and going, hey, what's going on with you today? Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I think it's being able to be open and know that there's no pressure. Um, and I think the best organizations do that, don't they? And I think the more we can get feedback from people, the better 360 feedback on how we're perceived. We mentioned it before we started talking about um, self-awareness. And this is something that we're trying to drive home with the coaches. If I was to go into your environment and or you were to come into mine and ask players or staff, how would you describe Gerard Jones? What would they say? And I think that's really powerful because how can we know how well we're perceived? Because that can obviously influence how we can get better because I might have a, a belief that I feel I'm perceived a certain way, but <laughs> there might be someone over there who that isn't the perception that they have. And I think that's where we've got to be, you know, open to that feedback and grow. And that comes, that ties in then with the individual development plan and open conversations, being authentic. And we say we're going to do something, we do it. So, you know, live up to, up to our actions and our values. Yeah. I didn't expect I, the conversation to go this way. Because <laughs> it's reciprocal, right? So one of, one of my most powerful experiences as a coach uh, was when a player has come up to me and said, hey, you look a bit off this week. And I said, uh, Right? Was there something in the session, or have I spoke misspoke to you, or or what? What has led you to have a comment like that, basically, in a nice way? And yeah. she says, uh, "She says, no, you're you just you usually a wee bit more bubbly. Your, your energy is a wee bit off this week, and I felt it. And um, and I was like, I was taken back because obviously from a player to say that to you, yeah. But there was stuff going on with we had a baby that was up all. I wasn't sleeping." And I was chugging the coffee to get me through the, the, the two or three hours of the sessions and the meetings. And, you know, it, it was catching up with me. This was towards the end of the week. But for her to spot that, Gerard, and say that to me, I just appreciated that so much. I said that to her afterwards, you know, but I, it, it's getting that there. But I've been guilty on the other side. I've been guilty of, I've been the coach who, who was on the phone, whether it's recruitment or whether it's another, you know, when you're saying, right, well, if these players are going to judge me on my effectiveness as a coach, my effectiveness as a coach is to get the cones out, structure. I've got to improve that aspect. But where we've kind of gone towards is almost that, you know, sometimes you can become a better coach and you can actually become a bit colder, which can then reduce your effectiveness as a coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, it's weird. I'm, I'm reflecting on that, like with other people, since having a child, I'm reflecting on, I'm now starting to be more conscious of other people like her, where she's, you've obviously got a great environment there for her to be able to recognize something that's changing you and come up to you is awesome. And just showing that you care, like noticing, I think is huge, isn't it? Noticing just, (laughs) that's huge. And I think I'm trying to get better at that. But then on the flip side, you know, we talk about all these things that we preach and then I think, but I'm a bloody awful dad or husband because I'll be at home and I'll have my laptop on and little Will's crawling around and I'm like, oh, I'm busy. I've got to do this email. You know, <laughs> I don't think like you know, everything we're preaching and then you're in your environment and everything's, you know, more important. 
And I think that's another danger with coaching, isn't it? That it can consume our lives. And then we actually forget that, you know, like Ellie said it to me the other day, she's like, God, you care so much about other people's kids. What about your own? I was like, bloody hell, yeah, fair point. We're off to swimming Friday, let's go. And I think, <laughs> you know, oh, God. It's weird, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's hard for us. It's hard. It's it's amazing. And sometimes then, sometimes especially what I found is, is that you're, you're almost saying as a college coach, I'll hire someone who's really relational based and that will oh, yeah. to do what, but that it actually doesn't solve the problem. It just, you know, it, yeah, it enhances your staff, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily enhance your relationship with a coach. So what I think is interesting is the fact that we're almost having more, more science, more data, more spreadsheets, more session plans, but it's, it's catching yourself. What I'm trying to be better at is putting the phone down and yeah. observing a bit more. And it's not even joining in conversations. Sometimes it's just watching people. But it's where I'm struggling, Gerard, is that we're as humans, even though I say that and it's good today, I might forget tomorrow and then yeah. forget the next day. So it's building the habit yeah. of or a process of, okay, am I going to put the phone away at X o'clock until X o'clock? You know? And you're right. What we do in our personal life will probably end up impacting or reflecting our professional life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're looking at a at a coach now who's you know starting preseason, and I think it's important to scale back to be like you're not a counselor as well. Like it's 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 we're saying it's very very difficult to be a coach today, and it's also very very difficult to take on the role of a counselor for X amount of young people. Yeah. So. What are the ways do you think a young coach can almost start the process of taking a little bit more of a leadership role with on the relational side at any age group? I mean, I, th I think the biggest thing is we get so consumed, like you used an example there, scenario pre-season. Some of the worst things people do out here in the States is the fitness testing and the laps. And not going away from our conversation there, but you know, how does it relate to the game? You can get conditioning from the ball. The ball brings so much love and enjoyment. That creates a fun environment, which is, and that relates back to the fun maps, fun and development that people want. And I think going into pre-season, going into any new job, you hit the nail on the head. Being an observer and really planning what ifs, what if this happens, what will I see? Trying to know as much as you can, observe everything, and plan to spend as much effort planning the testing and the the practices that you're going to do, put even more emphasis on planning how you're going to build relationships with people, how you're going to build connections. Because we did it where what's our, and this is all like managing the performance environment effectively. Who do you have a great relationship with and why? Who Who don't you know? Why don't I know that person? Uh, the best one I heard was uh, Russell Earnshaw. He said, "I don't." He was using this tongue in cheek. He's like, "I don't like that person. I need, I need to get to know them better." And there's going to be people that you don't like. You know, like I don't really like that guy. I'm going to sit next to him. I want to get to know him better. And I think that's like just brilliant. And I, and I think that's a great start. That's a great start. Just get just building connection with people, sitting down with somebody, having coffee, finding out more about them. If it's a going into a new team and you don't know the dynamic of the group, ask the players what they feel is important. Why do they love playing the sport? How can you then incorporate that into your practice? Because you've got some people who, you must have this at the Red Stars, that you've got players who are good soccer players, they're playing for your team, but they might not even like playing soccer, but they're just really talented. What is it that they like about the sport or what is it that they like outside of sport? And then how do you, like, I remember that video you did where you were mic'd up and you got to see all your high fives and you're joking, you're laughing. But that it was great because, you know, you're finding out things that people like and their interests that might not even be soccer related, but you're running a session, you're running an activity. But how did you incorporate that within the environment and right before you started the role? And I think that's the key. Like, you, you did it, you lived and breathed it. And I think that's where people got to, put even more effort you know into back to that honesty right because on that subject there was a pre-season friendly here a couple of weeks ago 
uh, Fiorentina played um, Tigres, the Mexican team, and I said it to one of the one of our players. And I said, you going to game tonight? And she was like, Gary, why would I go to that game? And I go, oh, it's the team then. You don't you don't like those teams. She's like, no, I don't even like watching football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. But but on on the with Kerry Bowley on before something that I've taken to to try and improve because where I felt I I'm better in this environment is almost those informal relationships where I want to yeah. improve is is how do I actually offset a something that will make them better players or make performance better. So with Kerry Bowley on here about a month ago and he was talking about in the meetings whenever you're you're going to address something with a player not just to to bring it up in the meeting, but to talk to the player before the meeting and almost give them a heads up that they're going to be part of the, I suppose, the presentation and then the meet them and, and see where it is. And here, that's that's been a game changer for me because in having that conversation with the player before the meeting, you're saying, well, I'm going to present this to the team and it's got you doing this, but then you're getting perspective. So when you're delivering it to the team, you're actually able to say, well, this is why they might have done that, or they did this because impacted. You know, it's amazing. I love that. It's a great way to prime them, isn't it? Before, mm. and I just think that you've just hit the nail there. But everything you're doing relates to your coaching and practice philosophy. It's all about the players and giving the players ownership, people ownership. To, so it's not always coming from the coaching staff, and you're getting them to present on certain things and lead. I think that's a huge part of practice philosophy is how can we put more back on them? So can they be the architects? Can they be in control? We'll finish up here last 10 minutes. Um, try and try and bring it back to, you know, to giving coaches, I suppose, letting the player be in control. What are ways that the top players can be challenged without pushing them a bit too far? Well, the best ones have targets, don't they? I mean, I think setting them targets, having something on the wall that's visual that they can see, or little subtle messages around the environment, whether it's an article that was written about them, or whether it's at that level, at the performance level, or if they're competing for goals, or if it's uh, distance covered, or if it's at the grassroots level, where it's their individual learning plan, They've got consistent messages that they see when it's on the walls, things that are talked about in, informally or formally, and how the session's been created as well. The coaches that are delivering the session, how do we bullseye individuals within that practice? So that goes back to the phrase, seeing the individual as a project, the individual players as an individual project as opposed to the team project, because that's a great way to get your head around it. And then that individual within the collective, we've got them an objective that we're going to stretch them. So it's all about their strengths and areas for development, but their strengths, and they can come up with these. We can, sometimes they might not know, so that's why we might need to help them and say, right, I think this is going to help you get to that next level. And I, think, I like the work around what a lot of people talk about now around gamification, which goes back to that initial phrase where we talked about the world of tomorrow and, and how video games and just videos, technology, movies, what do people love doing that inspires them? How can we incorporate those principles of life and incorporate that into our practice design? And when we start doing that, we start looking at that sort of language and detail and, and communication. Then we're looking at different ways to stretch the individual. So, it's not as simple as we're in a positional possession activity and it's directional and it's got choices and blah, 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 blah. There's little nuances, there's little uh, little things going on in that activity that are stretching certain individuals. And I think the key for the coach is paying particular attention to what they want to notice. Because I think the biggest danger we have in coaching is that we want to see everything, but by seeing everything, we see nothing. So as a coach, when we're running a session, how can we be purposeful in our observation to train your eye? And I might zero in and bullseye. It might be, I'm working with Gary, or I'm working with Tom, I'm working with whatever today, Lisa, and her objective is this. And that's part of a bigger plan, which goes back to that phrase project. And her Olympics, which she's preparing for, 
might be getting into the first team at whatever, or it might be playing at DA level or playing at high school, or it might be being able to find other solutions when she's got the ball, how she can take players out of the game, or it might be something completely else, physical capacity, whatever. Character development. Like, do we have an understanding for players on our team who have got Asperger's? You know, how do we help them develop their skills? Understanding how someone can understand a joke without taking it personal. These type of things. And that all manage their behaviour. Like, um, like we have one kid at the minute, he's he probably similar to me. He's on the, he's on the spectrum, uh, but he can actually, different, he, 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 can, he misbehaves. He sometimes finds following the boundaries or the rules different when you do check like when you do the game and the players have ownership to change the rules that that'll flip him out because <laughs> where it's like no 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 wait we were the the rules is to score this way now you've changed what the he's gone so for him it's how do we you know if there's too much chaos in the session it can confuse him so his individual plan might be wrestling with that and what can we do better to support him in that? And I think another area for coaches is recognising that we're giving the players loads of challenges. Why don't the players give us challenges? Why don't the players come up to us and go, your challenge today is X. Brilliant, I'll see if I can achieve that. Rather than always coming from the, from the coach, get the players to give us some challenges for today. Whether it's in the team meeting, whether it's in a presentation, whether it's in a practice session or a game day, team talk, whatever it may be, let them come to us and say, Gerard, Gary, you need to do better at this or I want you to try this in the next 10 minutes. Okay, I'll do that. Right. And then get feedback from them. And can we, to answer your question about individual development, can we share our individual plan with them? We know so much about the players. Intimately, we know a lot about the players, their background, the history. The dog just died, whatever. The dog's called whatever, Sally. We know what their favourite movie is. Why can't, we know, why can't they know as much about us? Why don't we share our individual development plan with them? Hey, I'm working towards this licence or I'm trying to get better at this. I'm trying to understand this better. You know, Just so you know, I'm going to be trying to experiment in sessions around this. So if you notice things that I could do better and you can give me feedback, let me know. Uh, is there anybody that you'd recommend that you think could support me? I mean, how cool is that? Because now you're developing a unity as yeah. opposed to separation in the environment. And the kids of today are, are more intelligent now than ever before. Hey, what a way to finish it. Gerard, thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll have you on again very soon for the hat trick, but appreciate you coming on. That was, that was fantastic. I loved it. No, I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I, I learn loads just from everything you're doing and everything you're sharing and the conversations. Thanks so much to Gerard for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I didn't really know where that was going to go, but I thought it was a really, really interesting conversation. As you can tell, Gerard is is extremely passionate about improving, not just players or not just the game but people and you can tell how much passion he has by the way he talks about himself and the way he talks about setbacks and journeys it's uh, it was absolutely brilliant so we'd love to hear your insight on that for for me personally a big takeaway was that piece where he talked about that unconditional love i know i said it in the podcast itself but I think that's a really powerful way to look at how we almost view the process of player development and sometimes when I reflect on it or I think about it I almost feel that we give coaching the science or the art of coaching way too much credit and we give players and people way too little credit so whenever we approach pre-season with all these ideas and these concepts and we're so excited about it and we we think to an extent that they're going to work and that they're not going to face a lot of resistance and when they don't work we blame or we look for the faults of the people or the player or the team when in reality it's natural for things to not only have setbacks but for most things in the game if, if they all worked 
then the game would be a lot easier than it is and there would a lot of people would be playing more like Barcelona than just Barcelona or Man City so I think it's a great way to almost take a step back and look at before you go into the season to look at the fact of when things are going to go wrong when you deal with setbacks when you face up setbacks when they arrive at your door it's not always work rate or attitude that is the fault of the people sometimes there are other things in play and the game is very very complex that it can be one small variable and i think that's really powerful when we're looking at development and especially whenever development is great whenever the player is super talented and the team wins a lot of games and we tend to as coaches take a lot of credit for development in that phase but when developments can be tougher and can be more difficult whenever we are losing games and when the player is going through difficult times so maybe that's a time where we zoom out so to go away from it maybe it's to to put some notes down as a coach and almost prepare yourself for the setbacks or prepare yourself for the difficulties in the relationship with the player and when those difficulties arrive remember how you saw it coming almost and and what you had planned for it and maybe maybe that helps you build the relationship before you require the relationship and maybe that just helps you connect with the player a little bit quicker so that's just from my experience uh like i said during the podcast you know a lot of things i did whenever my coaching from a technical standpoint was improving my connections were going the other way and it took away from the power or the value of what i was delivering both on the field and in the classroom as well so we'd love to know your thoughts on that as always at gary kernine on twitter at gary kernine on instagram please before you shoot off check out the modern soccer coach platform we'd love to have you engaging on that there we'd love to have you check it out thanks so much for listening have a great week goodbye thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach kernine on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com